It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. I love to do some research whenever we have guests on the show that I've known about for many years. And Tara, I have known your name for a long time. And I was reflecting today of when did I first hear of you? What what was the context and, and when was that? So I looked up in this the way that I do it because I, I like to archive so much on my computer. I have like all these old emails, especially from my early days on social media. And so I was able to go back to 2012 and I saw a few references to you on my Twitter because back in 2012, every time someone followed you, you'd get like an email notification. Maybe it still does that, but eventually I turned it off and I had like some email notification from something on Twitter related to you. And then I found some emails in 2012 from Tadasana Festival, which I thought was probably a blast from the past for you. And then it started to build up from there. I started hearing about you more and more in in 2014 from Gabby Bernstein and Chris Carr and all of these people. So you've been on my mind for many years and uh, it's been a long time coming. And then Jason reminded me today of how he has overlapped with you in his life. So I'm going to pass it over to him because you might not know this about what you two have in common. Yeah, it's it's kind of like love fest. We're starting this episode of like, yay, we finally get to, you know, meet someone we've been following and admiring for years. So yeah, Tara, there's some really interesting overlap. You know, I became familiar with you many, many years ago through Hay House, which is a book we've both or a publisher we've both released books with. And then Crazy Legs Productions, who did your Yoga Rebel series, they also produced a cooking series that I did. So there's been many, many years of like, when am I gonna get to talk to her? When am I gonna get to meet her? And I probably could have just sent you a DM or a tweet or just just, you know, said, hey, can we hang out when I'm in New York? But here we are. It took all these years. And and it's all to say we're super stoked to have you and get to know you more and just dig into who you are and what's shaking in your life. So thanks for being with us finally. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I got to say, when you both were saying when I thought it was going to be, you know, 2000 <laughs> or, or 2006, but 2012. Yeah. So I think it's yeah great to get to know you guys. I can't wait to hang out in a coffee shop and you know, I think that's what's so cool about, you know, anybody that's interested in feeling better, whether, you know, it's from an author, entrepreneur, or, you know, a person attending the things, I think we all kind of eventually find each other. And, you know, I've been talking with friends of mine about that recently, and, you know, this area of community building, and we're all kind of thinking, are we really building community? Or are we just kind of finding each other? <laughs> you know, like, like the big foil ball, or, you know, a rubber band ball of the Pee Wee Herman adventure. And it definitely does feel at least to me, you know, that very family way of, you know, I know you from somewhere, even if, you know, we never actually met, we have all of these things in common. So great to get to know you guys too. And you know, it's interesting about how you you don't even feel like 2012 was that long ago, you know, like in the grand scheme of, of your career. And I think that's one of the topics that I'm really curious about today, because it can feel like everything happening online and offline, of course, like writing a book and teaching in-person classes. But I often think about you as doing so much at the forefront of as social media was being developed in, in the yoga industry and, and the health and wellness fields. And, and there weren't a lot of people doing that work that I recall 
you know, 10 plus years ago. And so to hear that this has been part of your life for for even longer is so impressive. And my first topic I want to get into is how have you seen things evolve? And how do you feel about this rise of the social media influencer? You know, like there's so many health, wellness, yoga teachers out there right now. Being somebody that's been in the industry for so long, like, does it feel like it is frustrating? Does it hinder you? Is it exciting? Is it kind of a mix of all of it? Do people not realize how long you've been doing this work? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't really get frustrated by people trying to help people feel better. I think all of that is kind of, you know, awesome in a way. I mean, I feel really lucky, honestly, that, you know, I grew up without the internet. I kind of, you know, just kicked around in the dirt my whole life. And, uh, you know, I learned yoga before the internet and before yoga was even, you know, of course, it's an ancient practice, thousands of years old, all of that. But, you know, in the 90s in the dance program that I was in. So before it was a job for basically anybody that I knew that was a role model to me. So, you know, when I first learned about yoga, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is kind of a practice. I feel like I'm remembering something. And my second thought was, why don't all my friends in high school do this? You know, we're all you know, have our own problems, stressed, you know, I just saw that this is a tool to help. And, you know, so I just started, I think, like so many people do now, I mean, so many people are able to share their stories so much quicker with the internet, which is kind of, you know, incredible in, in its own right. But, you know, back then, I was just looking for groups of people to learn this stuff from, and there really wasn't a whole lot going on. And and what there was, it was really kind of strange or kooky or divided or very dogmatic or, you know, kind of on its way to being in trouble 20 years later, which we all know now. But really, you know, I just came at this as, oh, I want my friends to feel better. So I think now for you know, all the all the people starting and it's not just young people. I think people are, you know, changing their career at 40 and 50 because they discover, you know, oh, I, I felt better through whether it's food or, you know, some kind of healing practice. And I want to shift and now redirect and, and help my friends or help a community or something. I think it's just you can do that so much faster now, but I don't feel like I was hindered by that at all. I mean, I, I would walk around and stand in line somewhere and talk to somebody about yoga and they would say yoga. I thought that was, you know, for hippies or for vegans or whatever. And, you know, vegan was really even vegetarian back then, I guess. But, you know, there wasn't really a big community around it. And and again, those that I was finding in the community weren't representative, I think, of, you know, a human community where now, you know, wellness is so at least on the minds of so many people. So, you know, when YouTube started, I was still on the very younger side of people that I knew doing yoga. I mean, everybody in my yoga training was 30 years older than me. You know, I was 19 and they're like, what are you doing here? So I felt, you know, everybody has their turn to get in trouble and sort of be a fire starter and a little bit of doing it your own way and doing it differently. So, so my turn was, you know, I think when there was no one really doing it differently yet. And I said, you know, why aren't my friends doing this? Is it because they're turned off by the dogma or turned off by, you know, the power hungry guru? Yes. Are they turned off that, you know, it smells like incense and smoke everywhere and no one's really identifying with them? Yes. You know, there's all these things that are keeping people out of the yoga studio. So I just started, you know, speaking to people that were more like me and and that kind of process helped me meet a lot of people not like me, different than me. So I thought, you know, that's just the more you find something authentic to you in my experience, the wider your audience 
And it's not really your audience because it just becomes the people that you want to hang out with. The more easy you're able to connect with more people. And I was able to use YouTube back when, you know, there wasn't any information on the internet at all. <laughs> so, you know, I just felt like I had my turn to get in trouble. And, and now it's other people's turn to, to find a new way. Yeah, I love that perspective because sometimes it feels very competitive. And I think I get turned off sometimes when it feels like people are using their platforms more from an ego-centered place than from actually helping others. And I feel like it's very easy to get into that because it's appealing to the ego to want to grow your followers. You know, we were talking about Clubhouse before we started recording today. And that's one thing I've really been observing on that platform. It's like a mad dash to get followers on this newer social media platform. And there's groups now on that app that you can go into and their sole purpose is to follow for follow. And you go into this group and everyone's there to grow their followers. And I was really fascinated with that. Not that it's anything new, because I've seen that on pretty much any platform. But just stepping back and thinking, well, what's the point of having all these followers if they are only following you so that you'll follow them back, A? (laughs) And then B, what's the point of having a platform if you're just gaining numbers and you're not doing it to, to your point, spread the word about something that you're passionate about? And I think that's that's something that's really fascinating to me as I've seen social media evolve it's a lot of people using something like yoga because it feels trendy or using something like wellness because it's trendy. And I, I often wonder, like, does that make it harder for others to find someone like you who is has been doing it for so long and putting out all of this authentic information and has truly developed what I perceive as an expertise in something based on your longevity? And yet there's it's almost like this crowded world of all of these yoga influencers and health and wellness influencers. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, again, I just, I'm kind of out of that. I'm not, I don't know if other people would call me an influencer. I don't do that as a job. So I don't, I don't see myself as that really. I don't really think about Which is really refreshing, by the way. (laughs) Like, I love that you don't, you know, you're not in that world. I think that gives me and Jason hope because we're trying to get out of that world in many ways. Well, I think it's, you know, what was cool for me that I think ruffled a lot of feathers back then, you know, way back in the 2012 machine was, you know, I started making videos on YouTube for my friends in high school, you know, literally with my laptop back before, you know, there was anything like your own camera equipment, stuff like that, you know, whole other story. But, you know, I I tried to make these titles that were fun, like yoga for back pain, yoga when, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, you know, yoga for hangovers, trying to get my friends to stop drinking so much, you know, all these kinds of things. And so, you know, kind of, this sounds kind of strange, but people that weren't interested in yoga said, oh, I can do that. Or that sounds familiar to me. And it, and I didn't feel like I was dumbing yoga down, but I was saying, hey, if you're hungover, you can do some yoga and you'll feel better. And maybe tomorrow or next weekend, you won't drink so much or destroy yourself so much and then you'll feel better. So I was kind of, you know, as people do now, I think using what I have, like the sensibilities that I have to share this thing that's amazing. And the people that I saw come before me were getting really stuck in in holding on to this thing as the purpose and the goal and the end point. And, you know, I just don't respect yoga. I respect people. And yoga is this beautiful, amazing tool. So, you know, I saw a lot of that dogma and that rigidity and that stress. And I said, okay, like, if you want to do that, I'm not going to say, you know, everybody else is doing it wrong. But I'm, what I'm going to do is say, this is how it can help me. And this is how I help other people with yoga. And if that can help you, then awesome. And, you know, I've always come at 
the sharing of yoga for me as, you know, this little kid from Illinois who just wants to help people feel better. And, you know, seeing my uncles and my aunts and, you know, my cousins and my friends feel like they can't do it because, you know, their their main complaint about yoga is still, by the way, it's not, oh, the influencers look so pretty. They think that's ridiculous because it is. It's that I can't touch my toes or I'm not flexible or it's too hard to calm down. So I haven't seen like the problems go away. It's just that the influencers aren't helping necessarily, but you know, they're doing something. I'm just not in the loop of what that is. But, you know, I think people want to feel better. And, you know, if you want to help people feel better and you have a process that can do that, then, you know, more power to you. I think that's, that's wonderful. Absolutely. And that really leads into the work that you're doing now. Um, When I was looking over kind of a summary of your recent book, one of the things that really stood out to me was how so many people are, are plugged in and stressed out because we're so tethered to our phones and our emails and our social media. We feel overworked. We are not as active as we want to be because we're sitting at our desk or on our beds or on our couches. And we've started to become very out of touch with our bodies and, and what our brains need. And I love this subject matter because I think this is a place right now that people desperately need. They need to know how to make the things that are good for them easier, how to be kinder to themselves. This is something I come up against probably every single day of my work is just recognizing how unkind I am to myself. Jason and I talk a lot about this on the show, off the show. And then so many people in our in our world, whether they're friends or their clients, are struggling with simply just being kind to themselves. And I feel like this is a, a place for you to jump in, Jason, because you get really passionate about this too. Yeah, this is an ongoing thing because, you know, I feel like it's so easy to externalize compassion. It's so easy to externalize kindness. It's, well, for some people, maybe not easy to, you know, extend equanimity or equality. That's a whole other conversation with what's going on in society right now. But in terms of, you know, we hear these terms self-love and I feel like, you know, self-love or self-compassion or inward directed kindness, maitri, you know, these concepts I think can be very intellectualized and I feel like just now in my early 40s, I'm starting to actually move from sort of an intellectualization of what self-love might be to an actual practice of like, oh, when you start to feel like you're being mean to yourself, how can I do like a pattern interrupt and say, okay, if you were speaking to your mother or your lover or your best friend, would you speak to them the same way you're speaking to yourself right now? So I feel like I'm finally getting into a, a level of my practice where I'm grokking this idea of self-compassion and kindness. And it's difficult because I think that I've been in a pattern of, I don't know, but just pushing myself really, really hard for many, many years. And and when I dug deeper into the Strala Yoga website, Tara, I, I saw that slowing down is your personal mantra. And I loved reading that because it in this paragraph, it talks about how you slow down when you start to feel tense or rigidly fast or the outside voices are influencing you too much. And and I want to bounce it back to you in terms of this might sound just like a little bit of a pedantic question, but when there's this much stress and this much uncertainty and the world just feels full of chaos and turmoil, it's almost like this pressure to make ends meet or this pressure to get through the day. How do we practice slowing down and being kind to ourselves? What would you recommend, especially given the state of the world right now? Well, first of all, awesome that you're taking this from an intellectual to a practical thing for yourself, because I think even 
you know, so much of the wellness industry and the teachers and the stuff of it, it is this, it can be so, you know, washing machine of, of, of wordplay really. And, you know, you can, you know, listen to all the podcasts and do all the things and think about all the things and, and still not feel better and, you know, feeling better. I know in yoga, you know, when I first started taking a lot of classes in New York, they would say, I'm not my body. And I'd think about that and I'd be like, well, what the heck? <laughs> like, what? You got to live in this thing, you know, you got to be in this thing. And, you know, maybe it's, of course, it's not your soul and it's not your mind, but, you know, we're all connected and your mind, your soul, your body, all of you, whatever you want to call it together operates as a concert. And if you're disconnected or worse, you know, cut off from yourself, you know, the Tai Chi perspective, I think is amazing about this. Yoga doesn't address it. I think so much, but it's sort of, you know, how to create peace on the outside is also addressed by creating peace on the inside. So if you're doing your yoga practice where you're at war with yourself, then how are you going to go home and be nice to your partner? How is that even possible without trying to stop yourself and intellectually talk yourself into it? It's just not the pattern or the way you're practicing. So I love, you know, just for myself, slowing down, softening, breathing deep, moving from my center every time I notice myself acting like a jerk, you know, and then realizing that, you know, being tense, being forced, being rigid, that's part of all of us all the time. And it's not this, oh, I hate myself when I'm being rigid and I love myself when I'm loving myself. It's that, okay, I can have a sense of humor about we're all neurotic and we're all this way. But when I catch myself, just like we're taught in meditation, come back to your breath. You can come back to softness and say, okay, I can soften literally, physically, my whole self, my emotional self. I can roll around a little bit and I can approach everything from here. I can approach my yoga practice. I can approach, you know, my family. I can approach my life. I can approach, you know, how I see what's going on out there. You know, things become better when we become better at relating to ourselves and we become better at making a good connection with ourselves. And I think that's the one thing that I've, I'm learning more and I'm gravitating more toward all of these pursuits and, you know, the ancient wisdoms and feeling better is slowing down is kind of that doorway into softness and to real self-care kind of being all the time, not just our luxurious, you know, yoga class, meditation practice, or listening to a podcast reflection time, but how you wash the dishes and how you stand in line for groceries. You can stand in line, you know, really freaking out or distracting yourself with your phone, or you can stand in line, bend your knees a little bit, move from your middle and just have a look around and you can actually create connections, you know, masks on, feet away from people. You can be better and and have it go better for everybody if you're just actually paying attention. And, you know, from my experience so far, whenever I actually can do that, things go better and I feel better and the world around me actually improves a little bit from my, you know, tiny little corner of it. And I just think that's so fascinating and something we can just let ourselves breathe a little bit more. And it's cool to learn about these things intellectually and learn about, you know, all of the stuff of wellness, but it's kind of becoming a little bit of, um, of an impediment too to actually doing it, I think, sometimes. Yeah, on that note, even though we're recording this several weeks before this episode comes out, to put into context for the listener, it's January 7th. And January 6th has become a historic day of at least 2021, but people are saying it might be one of the most historic days in our political history. And I felt so 
thrown off by that energetically. And then today I was feeling it as well. And I, I just have felt so off. And I kept wondering, am I feeling this way because of what happened yesterday? Is it a coincidence? And I, I've just kind of been reflecting on it. And currently I am assuming that the intensity of what happened in our country yesterday, what's happened in our country in the past year, in the past four years, et cetera, like it has this ripple effect on us, especially those of us that tend to be very empathetic, you know, like I wonder sometimes like why I get chills watching things on TV. And I'm like, maybe am I feeling for these people that are struggling? And it's just like my awareness have grown so much through those uncomfortable moments. And I'm curious for both of you how you've been feeling today as of the day that we're recording and how you've been handling and coping and softening for yourself and other people during this really intense time. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, I, everything you said is so right on. And I think it's so familiar for, I think everybody listening to this and so many people in the world is just, you know, I know from being through just personal stuff and world stuff through this whole year and last many years, it's, you know, we all know the things to do. And, you know, for me, it's, checking in with my friends. You know, I have friends in New York. Obviously, I know there's not a, a safety issue in New York right now, but I know it could feel maybe a little bit more vulnerable to be in a city when, you know, the entire country is, you know, really amped up in certain ways. So just checking in with with friends and not just for them to see if they're okay, but for me to have that connection as well. You know, I, I checked in with a few people just, you know, through messages and calls and things like that. But I think self-care is sort of completely underrated and gets so pushed aside. And so, you know, oh, I can do that when the world is okay. You know, we have a woman in our community who got really frustrated about something online and I didn't see it because I don't, you know, try not to pay attention to too much people's back and forth interactions on things. And this was a while ago, but she emailed us about, you know, some video we had and and I just emailed her back to see if she was okay. And she said, well, I'll be okay when the world is okay. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with her, you know, you can be okay now, but I think it's really, you know, a lot of people take that stance. I'm going to be fine when this happens. And, you know, I know for, for a lot of folks, it's a great reminder to realize that self-care is however you do it, whether it's your yoga practice, going outside for a walk in nature, sitting in silence, you know, probably not what the influencer is trying to sell you today, but the real self-care things that you know that your grandmother has taught you or your experience has taught you, you know, that's not a luxury item. Those are things, especially in times of turmoil that we need more of, you know, just like if you, if you're thirsty, you don't drink a little bit of water, you drink a lot of water. So when there's, you know, unrest outside of your home, you know, and we, of course we all are sensitive to that. If you turn on any screen or aware of that at all, you know, how can you not be sympathetic, empathetic, you know, whatever you call it, it's going to affect you some way or another, you know? So I think it's just, you know, the best thing that, that I can do is, is do all of the self-care things as much as possible. Be good with my family, be good with myself and use the tools that I have to just check in with friends and, you know, make sure the things that I'm sharing are meaningful. Make sure the things that I'm sharing aren't getting in the way of other important things. You know, taking a break from 
promoting something, promoting my book or whatever it is, you know, that I've got going on, you know, and just if I'm going to put out anything at all, you know, we have our online videos, just, you know, I don't need to to give a big speech or anything before when a big historic moment happens, but I can, you know, say, hi, how's it going? Let's have a little bit of a chat for a moment. Is Let's leave the floor open for anybody that wants to say anything. And, you know, we all know when we feel like really upset. We just want someone to listen to us. We don't really need to be the one talking. So I think becoming more of a listener to ourselves in that self-care way and become more of a listener for the folks in our kind of immediate circle can be useful. I think for me, it's it's been watching my emotions through all of this and also watching the stories that my mind makes up about, how do I say this? watching certain events or certain circumstances or moments present themselves in life and then watching my mind try and formulate some sort of negative or cataclysmic conclusion by observing certain things. And then the practice of, you know, sort of that meditation practice of, okay, it's a thought. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to give it power. I can just observe it and allow it to be, and then it will dissipate and it might come back around in a different form. And I think to piggyback on what you're saying, Tara, and and answer your question, Whitney, it's For me, yesterday and today, and just in general, remembering, as you alluded to, Tara, those those foundational tools like, okay, what are the things that I've been doing that I can rely on in terms of my practices that when these negative thoughts, these thoughts about, you know, cataclysm or, you know, the country is going to burn and we're all going to hell or whatever version of that there is, or my life's going to hell, or there's been a lot of, you know, really challenging thoughts is to observe them and try and not feed them too much. And I've been trying to do that over the past couple of days and waking up this morning too. And I feel like one of the touchstones, and we talk about going from sort of the intellectualization of these practices to an actual somatic integration, as I like to call it in my practices, as an example, like if I start to feel myself projecting anxiety into the future or say dwelling on perceived regrets of the past, if I can just practice on focusing on what's right in front of me. You know, in this moment, I've got my mic two inches from my face. I'm talking to two amazing people. We're having a moment in this podcast. It's not, okay, oh my God, I need to make sure I'm going to make it to this lunch meeting on time. And what am I going to do about my investments and my portfolios? Whatever. My mind wants to go to different places, but the practice of presence for me in an embodied way has been one of the antidotes for me not to reel into anxiety, deeper into depression and those kind of states of being. It's like, okay, what is exactly in front of me and how can I... How can I respond with with love to a situation? And some days I do better than others. <laughs> some days I do get depressed and some days I do find myself spiraling into anxiety and stress. But I think for me, just continuing to practice being really, really present and being in my body is a way for me to, I guess, navigate the stress and anxiety and uncertainty right now. That sounds awesome. <laughs> no, for real. I think, you know, I'm just thinking now how it feels luxurious almost to have all of this information that we get to learn from all of these people over the last even 30 years. You know, I remember growing up in Illinois, I was so desperate to leave. And now I appreciate everything that I had growing up and being in the country and, you know, having these hippie parents and all of this stuff. But I remember finding a book, my dad is a a nuclear engineer, he was in the Navy and he never talked about it much. So I was always wondering if he was a spy, but I don't think he was that cool. But I remember finding a book of his about Einstein and, you know, being in sixth grade or seventh grade or something and reading a little bit about Einstein and kind of feeling this thirst for finding people like you guys, you know, to talk 
in the future, you know, now about all of these things that we can do to connect to ourselves in a very deep way. And, you know, I'm sure this was happening, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, but it's really everywhere now. So I think, you know, I'm just, even though everything is so wild and feels so fragile for us in the world right now, I'm, I keep thinking about that time where I discovered that book in the basement. I was wondering, where are the people who think like this guy? And where are, where's the community of, you know, this sort of deeper, deeper world of connection and self-connection, how things are connected? Because, you know, I remember going to the woods as a kid and coming back once and telling my mom, you know, oh, are the trees connected to myself? And I feel passionate about the world. And, you know, having these kinds of conversations weren't really accepted back then. And you were kind of more told to just go to school, get good grades, you know, do your thing and push everything else down. So I think, you know, it's, it's such a great time that we do have access to even just being able to have this conversation and have access to, you know, books and teachers and, and all of this, all of the ancient wisdom now being translated and, you know, it's probably going to be in 30 years from now, different avatars. Like you could probably pick your yoga teacher's hair color and have it be a hologram on your screen. And if you don't like, you know, my voice, you can substitute with somebody else's voice. <laughs> you know, we have a million different ways we can, we can take in these tools and digest it and then have real life conversations with, with friends and co-conspirators and then figure out how to go and make the world better in the same moment. You know, how cool is that? You know, you can, whether it's raising money or getting on the street or getting people together, having conversations with your friends, you know, all summer, you know, being in Brooklyn and being part of the protests, all these things, we can all do this now. And, you know, I know at least for me and thinking about myself and where I've come from, that's, that's very amazing in that way. Absolutely. And that also reminds me of something that's a relatively new concept. <laughs> I feel like people are awakening to this pun intended because in your book, you touch upon the importance of resting, you know, and how Jason and I have had so many conversations about this in the past year because it feels like we are, are simultaneously in this stage of obsession with productivity and hustling, but then there's a more people awakening to the fact that we're probably working a little too hard and that it's okay to rest. So it's it's fascinating to me because it's like the permission is growing to rest more, but it's still so prevalent for people to feel like they're not doing enough. And that this whole idea of not enoughness is something that comes up a lot for us. It's like we have this addiction to hustling. And that's encouraged for a lot of us. You know, again, even the when you're practicing yoga, you can feel like you have to constantly be practicing. I feel this a lot. Like I have to observe my internal pressure to take classes frequently and, and not beat myself up for the phases in which I'm not regularly practicing and, and recognize that that kind of goes against a lot of the mentality of yoga practice. It's like yoga is about slowing down, not like constantly doing as much yoga as I possibly can. You know, So it's amusing when I think about it that way. But I love this message that you have in your book. And I'd love to hear more about the inspiration you had to write about that and, and how you learned to rest more in your life. Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, the more I kind of go along, the more I realize rest is every moment. And, and yeah, I, I see that kind of, you know, a lot of people struggle with that. Either I'm busy, 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 or I'm doing nothing. And, you know, how I see that manifest, you know, with, with people I knew growing up, 
is like you were saying, you know, wearing your your sleeplessness as a badge of honor. You know, I remember a gal would come into the yoga studio and she would say, oh, I only slept two hours last night. I was up doing this presentation and now I'm flying here and flying here. And, and then she'd look at me, you know, and I was friends with her, but she would look at me kind of waiting for the validation, like, oh yeah, great job. (laughs) And at that point, I mean, this was, you know, probably eight years ago. Now I knew enough to know that that wasn't good. I knew enough to know that she was headed toward burnout, which she ultimately did and then came back and said, okay, I need to reassess and reprioritize and change everything, you know, but now it's kind of, I think like you guys were saying earlier, so jumbled up with not just your own idea of where you should be, but this comparison mindset of, well, everybody else is so busy, then I should be busy too. And then you're kind of losing your center completely, losing your purpose kind of completely in that way. But but what I've learned about rest is, is nothing new. It's kind of what, what all the ancient wisdoms say, but what we're not really willing to get out of them, you know, where, you know, you can talk about Ayurveda and a hack, you know, here's your Ayurveda supplement or, you know, throw your turmeric in your smoothie, which is wonderful and, and beneficial and all of those things and awesome and fun. But also what Ayurveda is saying is slow down <laughs> and you'll get more done. And that's what I love about the process of rest. It's not that rest and go ahead and be lazy and it's okay, do nothing, just put your feet up. No, it's about living your purpose and figuring out who you are and what you're going to do with your energy while you're here. And you can't figure that out if you're moving a mile a minute. You know, you need to slow down, soften, breathe deep, do some of these things, you know, that's why Ayurveda is so obvious, living with the circadian of the rhythm of the day more. So you're having your big meal at noon and then, you know, there's time built in for rest. There's time built in for productivity. There's time built in for getting a lot done. But if you can incorporate real rest into your day and also into how you do the busy things, then it has this kind of superpower effect where you actually get more done. You, you're in the process to go toward your goal and you blow past your goal because you're not thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be happy once I get that goal. And, you know, we all kind of have memories or we're in that stage of doing that. But, you know, folks are just thinking about, oh, I'm going to get that goal and then I'm going to be really, really happy. Well, you're not going to be happy every moment along the way if you do get there. And then you're guaranteed when you get there, you're not going to be satisfied with it either. And you're going to need something else to scratch that itch or whatever it is. But that's why I think rest is such a superpower that, you know, is a little bit, I know for me at least, was misunderstood with just doing nothing, you know, just like that, just lie down, just, just give up, <laughs> you know, it's okay, rest. And, and I think we all see that as, you know, work really hard and then, and then rest, but you can rest in the process of, of doing the things you're doing. And then, then you actually achieve more and you achieve the right things for you. And, and you're not worried about everybody else. You can say, oh, they can do whatever they want. That's fine. Or you can cheer them on, or you're just not interested. And, and all of these, you don't have to be in all of these relationships with with all of these people that aren't in relationships with you, which I think is so much of the the worry and the stress of being busy right now. It's all of this, you know, maybe it's a little bit of that looking over your shoulder or feeling pressure, whether it's internal or external, but but mostly it's that internal, you know, everything that's that's pulling you further away from from your actual energy and your actual self. I think a part of this too that that I'm curious about, and I know you you spoke I think earlier today, Tara, on intuition, on how to strengthen your intuition. I saw that you did a, a Instagram live with the Chopra Center, and one pretty common thing that I hear versions of over and over again 
whether that's people who who want to you know do a coaching program with us or learn food and nutrition or different mindfulness techniques anything kind of under the umbrella of what we're doing with our brand Wellevator I get DMs and messages from people saying I feel super overwhelmed I'm not sure if I should try vegetarian or vegan or keto or paleo or 801010 I just want to be healthier but there's all of these diets and there's all these eating regimens and there's all these different lifestyles and you know should I do pilates should I do strala yoga should I do jiva mukti yoga should I do kundalini yoga I get versions of these messages of of people feeling so overwhelmed they have the desire to evolve they have the desire to heal they have the desire to explore but they feel almost stultified in making a decision and i'm just curious because you were talking about it earlier today how someone who might be a little bit more a type or analytical or you know i've, I've got to get better i've got to heal i've got to do this thing how do they touch their intuition how do they tap into it maybe if they're not used to doing it a and then once they realize oh i actually might feel safe enough to listen to this thing how do we go about strengthening and listening better to our intuition to guide us through life what's your recommendation on that oh gosh well i think you know as much of a really cool time i think it is to be alive right now you're absolutely right there's you know i love michael pollan's work how he kind of talked about the 80s and the 90s and the the food problems making fake food and all of these things and we're kind of in that that funny stage now with with the wellness stuff, you know, there's so much stuff and there's so many variations of it. A lot of it's good, a lot of it's, you know, you can make your own judgments about it, but it's it can be very difficult to choose especially if you're allowing yourself to be pulled around. But, you know, we all have intuition. We we all have that, you know, gut instinct. But when we're when we're vulnerable, when we feel like we don't know the answer, when we give away our power to to the yoga teacher, you know, all sorts of problems happen there. But we all simply know, you know, we're supposed to eat food, not too much, lots of fruits and veggies. You know, if you want to find a specific diet that works for you within that, you know, then there's a million different variations that, you know, I think you can you can obviously do without being overwhelmed. You can make lots of different choices, but still follow your intuition. But I think it's it's coming down to, you know, unfortunately, finding ways to get back to common sense. And I think a lot of people you know, whether you're in the wellness world or not, are just so overwhelmed with with all of the decisions every single day that it becomes impossible to make even one decision. And, and that one decision is how do you feel? What's going on with you? And, you know, if you don't have anybody in your life asking, how do you feel right now? It's sort of, I think it's really important to start asking yourself how you feel while you're doing your yoga practice, while you're getting up in the morning, how do I feel right now? And of course, if you have a, an extreme disorder, whether it's an eating disorder or an anxiety disorder, you need kind of external help to get back to some sort of balance, then, you know, a lot of us aren't qualified to even know how we feel when you, if you're in that state. But once you kind of get into that, I just maybe can't make a decision about food, or I can't decide what yoga class to make, or I'm always kind of indecisive. It's you really got to sit down with yourself, be real with yourself, slow down, take a few deep breaths and, and notice how you feel. And, you know, from there, you're going to feel kind of silly because you'll know what to do. I mean, that's intuition. Intuition is saying, oh, I, I can analyze my way every direction, but I, I always know what to do. I always know what to come back to. So, you know, for me, it's finding a practice, whether it's your yoga practice or your Tai Chi or your eating, whatever you love is your practice, getting out in nature, finding that thing that's pretty easy for you to kind of click into and find your groove in and ask yourself while you're doing it, how do I feel? What's going on? 
with me, you know, kind of like every, I love music because all these beautiful artists say the same things in amazing ways. You know, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? (laughs) What's going on with you? Or, you know, Sinead O'Connor, there's a universe inside, you know, we need to tune in to, you know, what should be the number one show on Netflix. It's the number one show of you, what's happening with you. And, you know, the moment we decide to be fascinated with ourselves and not an egotistical way, but in a curious way to discover how we're doing, what's going on, how we're feeling, you know, we become more sensitive or more sensitized. And then all of a sudden we know, and then I can, you know, look at your, your recipes and I can say, oh, I can do that. Or I can look at it and say, well, I'm going to change that. And I have this at home and I'm not going to worry about it so much. Or, you know, all of the information becomes, you know, options, not, not something that's, hooking us in so much with a deadly bloody thing and and dragging us around, you know, it can be a lot more simple than that because we can become the, the real, the centered driving force of our own life. You know, you have to be the, the main star of your own life. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to be pulled around for forever. and, And eventually you'll hit some sort of a breakdown and hopefully come back. But, but why wait for that? You know, you can soften and, and connect to yourself and, do things that make you feel more sensitive to you, whether it's just getting out on a walk in nature, it doesn't even have to be a formal practice of any sort. And then, and then you'll, you'll remember and doing those things more often will help you remember the things that are better for you to do. One of the things I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I want to touch on really quickly is this idea of being a rebel. And I talked about one of the coolest things that I really enjoyed in your career was the, the yoga rebel series that you did, Tara. And in sort of the pantheon of of the four tendencies, which we've talked about here on the podcast, I definitely fall into the the rebel category. I've always been wired, even since I was a child, to challenge what I perceived as the status quo or constantly be in a questioner and experimenter's mindset. And just because people found something to be popular or that something worked or, you know, try my 12-step formula and do, you know, 10 steps to, you know, flipping into scorpion pose or 10 steps to make six figures. There's all these kind of like formulas and programs that I think a lot of people say, just follow this and you'll get this result. But I'm curious in in your cosmology with your your personal life and of course your incredible career, what does the idea of being a rebel mean to you? Being rebellious, how does that show up in your life? And how do you, and, and if you do encourage people to be more rebellious in their lives? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think that's why I just loved you guys from our first kind of sound check hangout because. I think being a rebel is is finding the truth. It's questioning things. And if you don't do that, you're not healthy. You know, a healthy organism, you know, grows and and figures out things and and you know, evolves and changes and and wonders what's all happening. Yeah, that that series came out of and this this was a moment that terrified me completely before media was really a thing in in my life, but a, a journalist came to our studio in Soho and said I'm going to do a tiny article for you on the back of the New York Times, like a paragraph. I think what you're doing is kind of interesting. And I'm like, oh no, whatever. Because a few bloggers were saying things about me like, oh, you're changing yoga and you're not doing it correctly and all these things. And I said, let's just leave it on the blogs and you know, we're fine. And we had this nice community and I'm just trying not to get upset about it. So here's this journalist and like, oh, you're going to make that even more. So she kept coming and kept coming, kept coming. And I said, isn't this just two paragraphs? And she said, well, I really love what you're doing. And I'm a bureau chief at the New York Times, and this has never been done before, but I'm going to do, you know, multiple page story on you for the cover of the Metro section. And the title is going to be Rebel Yoga. 
And I'm like, what? You're going to ruin my life. <laughs> this is horrible. And I'm thinking you're going to, everybody that doesn't already, you know, think that I'm ruining yoga is going to say that I'm ruining yoga, except our community, which is like, you know, the normal people, at least in my opinion. And so she, she wrote this article and it kind of took off. I got, you know, I was doing other projects from there and, and the word rebel kept getting, you know, attached to my name. And I said, okay, this is kind of a funny thing, but you know, everybody gets their turn at hopefully being a rebel and everybody that's doing something and questioning something and, you know, making a difference or, or opening the door for other people that feel the same. You know, that, that's what I loved about, you know, how she labeled what I was doing. You'd look at what I was doing. I was explaining yoga to people in English. So I was saying, okay, let's not do the Sanskrit names because I come from a dance background. So let's talk about the movement and how to get into each position. Because if I say a pose in Sanskrit, people are just going to say what? <laughs> or they're going to say, oh, I know that. Let me do this. And then they'll get their body into yesterday's version of a triangle pose instead of going with the movement. So that made sense to me. And then playing music that I thought people could connect to on a soul level, not yoga music, because people that I know would think chanting is maybe not something that's going to connect them to themselves directly. Maybe it'll work for somebody else. But, you know, playing songs like Eddie Vedder and Marvin Gaye and Macy Gray, and but just on softly, you know, but at that time, this was, you know, 2010 was very rebellious. You know, it sounds ridiculous now, you know, and also i called myself a guide instead of a teacher. And everybody thought that was really strange. Why aren't you calling yourself a yoga teacher? And I said, well, guides take people up the mountain and, and essentially they've been up the mountain before, but you're still going up the mountain yourself. And I don't want to call myself a teacher because, you know, I think that for me, it doesn't really make much sense telling people what to do. I want to show them how they can do it themselves. And I just want to, I just want to do it in the best way that I can. So I was doing all of these things very differently, you know, dressing differently, I suppose, but I was just dressing like myself and sweatpants and t-shirts and whatever, and hanging out with people before and after class, you know, casually and, you know, trying to talk to people and ask people how they were doing. And, you know, back then the yoga teacher entered the room at the moment of the class and then left as soon as it was over. And, you know, I thought that was a little bit rude. I thought it was nice to talk with people and get to know them. So all of these things that I was doing, like you were saying, questioning something that I didn't think was working, invited in a whole bunch of people or opened the door for, you know, a whole group of people that also felt the same way. So I don't, I don't feel like I was rebelling against this yoga thing. I just saw something, an opportunity for all these folks that I didn't know yet that also wanted to do this in this kind of a way. So, you know, as I kind of pick my head up and look around and, you know, see, you know, Harry Styles on the cover of something being like rebel something and everybody gets called a rebel when they're just being themselves. And I think that's, you know, so we're, we all should be rebels, I think, in my opinion. And it's not, you know, I was just worried about the term making me look to other people like I was coming in on a Harley, like drinking whiskey and telling everybody, you know, that that I'm awesome and they're not awesome. When when actually the, the heart of being a rebel is, you know, fiercely being yourself because you want to stand up for other people who aren't aren't maybe feeling strong enough to be themselves. And I, I just know from learning about other people's paths and different fields. That's, that's how they feel too. All of these, you know, kind of famous heroes we look up to in different industries, they're doing it because they know that other people feel like them. And, and I think we all kind of have that a little bit inside. So I think it's, you know, maybe something we should popularize a little bit more together. Maybe we can have a, a social campaign since you guys are so good at that stuff. 
Well, it's so funny because everything you're describing about your style is so exciting to me. And, you know, again, maybe it's the time that we're in, but I feel like I would have been so excited when I first started doing yoga, which was back in 2006, because I had no idea what was going on and it would have just been cool seeing people doing different things and not judging. And then I'm I'm listening to you as well, thinking like how perfect of a yoga class it would be for you, Jason, because you love all the music that she's listed off. <laughs> and I just imagine you're geeking out while you're listening to her right now. Oh, yeah. No, completely. I mean, it kind of makes me go like, why didn't I go to a yoga class when I lived in New York City? Damn it. You know, there's a part of me that's that's like you knew about it when you lived in New York. Why weren't you doing it? But in all seriousness, I I think that, you know, Tara, you're you're giving me sort of a, a framework to to constantly sit with a question that I've really been asking myself. You know, the the thing you mentioned about, you know, just being yourself is rebellious just that, just be yourself. And I think the further I go down, I guess this, I don't even know what to call this path anymore. I don't even want to label it. Whatever life path I'm on, that, you know, this idea that I'm not my title, I'm not my awards, I'm not the magazine covers, I'm not these whatever things we've accomplished or or these externalized titles or metrics of validation, not my social media numbers. I think the thing that I sit with on a daily basis is, well, who am I then? You know, I mean, this gets very esoteric. This is one of the I guess maybe core questions of humanity's existence, isn't it? Is who am I? Where did I come from? What is the meaning of all this? And I think, you know, my curiosity for for both of you as we're getting, I think, closer to the end of this episode is scratching on this question for a second. You know, when we say be yourself and then a possible response is, well, I don't even know what that means. You know, be myself. Like, how do I do that? And I, I say it not jokingly, I say it honestly, you know, because I feel like I am in this deep process, especially right now of kind of layers falling away and going, okay, if that layer wasn't me and this thing wasn't me and that title wasn't me and this amount of money I thought I was making isn't me, then at the core of my being, who actually am I? So for both of you, when you say be yourself, I don't know, what does that bring up for both of you? And how do we get to be more of ourselves? How do we strip those layers away? I think part of what makes it feel so complicated to answer that question is because we're looking outside of ourselves too much. You know, even what you were saying earlier, Atara, about how your friend walked in there like wanting to be validated for not sleeping, you know, like that is something that's so common. Like we look for other people to affirm us. And I, I have done so much of that in my life. And recently I started recognizing that and taking it day by day. I'm, I'm not trying to constantly prove myself as much as I used to. It's still there. It's still a process of, of stripping away that desire. I think we've been conditioned to do that through platforms like social media and through the pressures of our industry and this whole idea that we always have to look perfect and put together and like we've got life all figured out. But the truth is, I don't know if anybody has anything figured out. There's so much uncertainty and it's easier to just take things day by day and let people perceive us however they're going to perceive us. And and to your point that you brought up so many times, Tara, is like, well, this is more about myself being the star of my own life and, and really slowing down so that I can get more in tune with it. And when I started having that realization, it, it felt so much better. So I wonder sometimes, Jason, like it, you and and other people, and and of course myself as well. Like, what would happen if we just tried to disconnect more from that mentality and and that constant 
need to prove ourselves and the constant need to hustle and do things. And like I mentioned earlier with this Clubhouse app, it's exciting to me on one level to see a new social media app develop and and to connect people and, and to create community, which is something else you brought up a lot today, Tara, is like, it's so important for us to talk to each other especially because we're not seeing each other nearly as much, if at all, in person. And so having platforms where we can really share is amazing. But on the other side, what I see in platforms across social media, whether it's Clubhouse or TikTok or, of course, Instagram and Facebook, it's like you also have all these people that are are trying to gain something from it constantly and compete with one another and and one-up each other and, and prove themselves. And that becomes so distracting. So I have to be very aware of when I see myself doing that and then just step back and listen more and tune in more and slow down more. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I got, you know, this Deepak calls it synchronicity, but I got to meet Deepak many years ago. Actually, I was writing my first book and the publisher said, okay, who's going to write your cover blurb? And I literally said, what's a cover blurb? And they said, it's the most famous person you know. And they say something nice about you on the front of the book. <laughs> and I say, well, I don't know anybody famous, but I think Deepak Chopra would really like me, really like what I'm talking about, you know, just kind of said it as a joke. And I said, can't you guys get in touch? And they said, no, no, this is all has to come from you. So the next day, I, literally, I get this email to my, you know, little at the time website asking if I would come to a, a small, tiny event and I would lead a yoga class and Deepak would be there giving a talk. And I said, of course, so I'll go. And then I met him and he ended up writing the cover blurb. And he asked me if I would come over and teach him yoga. And my response was, you don't need anybody to teach you yoga. You know everything about yoga. And he said to me, yeah, but I know you're going to, from what I know of you, you're going to take me through yoga and not tell me about yoga. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to tell anybody about yoga. You can read that in a book. But I think, you know, one thing he taught me and not personally, but just going to his events that he would invite me to is he always had everybody do this at the beginning. And at first I was like, oh, this is some esoteric thing. He's got this whole, you know, this whole crowd that, you know, is around, but the questions were so good. And I just swipe them and teach them to everybody. And he said, it's fine, but it's, it's literally just sitting in meditation or you don't even have to be meditating. It's who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? What am I grateful for? And works every single time. Just like a yoga class, you always feel better after it. Whenever I sit down and breathe and ask myself those questions or do it in a group, it's so fun in a group and to give each other feedback and, and say what came up and what happened. And especially if you get a group together that you get to do the same things, you know, for a few days in a row or a couple weeks in a row, you know, see how those answers change. I think, you know, sitting with a practice like that to really, you know, come back to yourself and not try to figure out who am I, but just ask the question and see what comes up. And then beyond that, you know, what do I want? You know, ask the question, see what comes up. How can I serve? You know, amazing. And then finally, what am I grateful for? And then, you know, we're all wired in the same way that we, you know, we, we get out of the, the, outside of ourselves when we come right back in. And, you know, every time I've got to do that with other people, I've had amazing conversations. And, you know, every time I do that with people or with myself, you know, a few days in a row, people change their lives and, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, I realized I was doing that and that's so silly. Or, oh, I just feel better. I feel more grounded, less chaotic in my mind. I feel better about what I can do in the 
chaos of the world. You know, there's, there's just always something good that happens with that besides trying to, you know, sit down and, and tackle all the world problems with our, you know, with our brains, which is never going to get us anywhere good. Yeah, the brain, goodness, just always trying to get that balance between the mind and the heart. And I just first, I, I just think your approach, Tara, is so down to earth and so accessible, you know, and, and the thing that I think about too is when we have this bevy of teachings and wisdom and concepts and things we've learned that we're passing along, I think it's one thing that I'm always mindful of too is how can I just present this authentically as myself, first of all, but in a way that I think is going to land. And I just love everything that you you shared today and that you have shared over the years in your teachings because it lands and you present everything and in such a way that is absolutely you and the spirit of you, but also in a way that people I think can actually use and implement. And as we're getting to the end of this episode, I just want to encourage the listener to visit our website, which is wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if you want to access the show notes with everything we've discussed here today, including all of the links to Tara's work, we will link to her website, also the Strala Yoga website, which you can actually take online classes now. They have some incredible packages for you to practice Tai Chi and Qigong and gentle yoga, workout yoga. There's so many incredible classes that you can access, dear listener and start practicing in the comfort of your home. And of course, we're going to link to Tara's brand new book, Clean Mind, Clean Body. It's a 28-day plan for physical, mental, and spiritual self-care. And also her previous books, including my current favorite until I get my hands on the new one, The Make Your Own Rules Cookbook, which is the first book I got of yours. So all of her books, her incredible yoga practice, her Instagram, everything so you can stalk this amazing teacher and beautiful human being at your leisure, dear listener. All of that will be at our website, wellevator.com. Again, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And we always love hearing from you. So you can shoot us an email, hello at wellevator.com or a direct message on any of the social media platforms. And that's that. Tara, it's been it's been a great first conversation. This conversation has been many, many years in the making and just appreciate your rawness, your honesty, your being of service and leading with love. It's just been such a pleasure getting to know you deeper here today. Oh, I feel the same. I feel like if we were in, you know, that coffee shop in Brooklyn, we'd be closing it out right now and have to move it somewhere else. So I feel like I could just keep talking with you guys for as long as you will hang out with me too. So thanks for connecting. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.